Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from July 16th, and it, we're in our daily walk readings are now heading into the book of Romans. And so this comes from that book, from Romans in the third chapter, the transition uh, transition chapter that was so important to both John Wesley and Martin Luther. <coughs> so I talk about those things, and it went over very, very well. I've included at the end of my little rambling here uh, something that someone said during the prayer time about the about the sermon, and I figured, why not? We'll include it. The guy who did the recording sent it to me, so I've added that on as a tag. I'd like to uh, second David's uh, praise of your sermon. I think it was the best sermon on what Methodists believe that I've ever heard. Thank you. So here it is. The sermon title is Apart from the Law. Amen. Please remain standing for the lesson from the New Testament, which comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, verses 19 through 24. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know all of you are completely up to date with the daily walk readings. And actually, how, how many are? We get, we, we get a number of people. Congratulations to you. And there, there is still the CDs are on the back table there if you want to listen on your vacation and be able to catch up a little bit. But now, if you are caught up, we are moving from the book of Acts, which told us about the formation of the early church, into the writings of Paul. And the writings of Paul in the New Testament begin with Romans. But they're not in chronological order, so just bear that in mind as you read. He didn't write Romans first and then all the rest of them. Paul wrote the book of Romans while staying in the cosmopolitan city of Corinth, about 57 A.D. And he wasn't just writing for the fun of it. After establishing churches throughout Asia Minor, Paul wants to go on and to preach the gospel in Spain. But he needs a support base that's going to be closer to Spain than Jerusalem is. Paul wants the church in Rome to support his mission further on to Spain. And that's the reason that he composes this letter. Paul is at a disadvantage. He didn't found the church in Rome. Peter did. Paul's never even visited the Roman church at this point, And they know of him only what they've heard from others. Stories that were often conflicting, and sometimes stories that weren't very flattering. They're not quite sure what it is that Paul believes, especially as his new Christian faith relates to the Jewish faith of his birth. And that's why Paul's letter to the church in Rome reads more like a theological treatise 
than it does as a letter. He's writing to explain to the Roman church what he believes and why. He needs to show the Gentile Christians there that he accepts them as, it is, as they are and to show the Jewish Christians that he doesn't believe God is just a fickle deity that's given them over for a new love. God says to the Jews, oh, you're my people, and then says to the Christians, oh, now let's switch. You're my people now. So that dichotomy with both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Rome, Paul has to explain his understanding of why all are included in God's grace. And if he does that successfully, then he hopes the church in Rome is going to give him the material support he needs to go further west into Spain. And so Paul launches into some of his most famous writing. He begins in the first two and a half chapters by painting a very, very bleak picture of humanity. If he's going to show that God offers redemption to all, then he has to show that everybody is in fact in need of redemption. And that makes the first two and a half chapters of Romans pretty nasty reading. Sin is heaped upon sin. He points out that God's word has been written in creation itself. And so nobody alive on the planet can say that they didn't know what God wanted from them or who God was. But he says, everybody knows, but nobody does it. The Jews who had the law in writing didn't follow it. And the Gentiles who knew God through creation didn't get it either. Everybody's in this sin thing together, he says. Nobody's righteous. Nobody. The law doesn't help a single bit. It only shows how far off the mark we are. Well, great. If you're really reading what he says, you pretty much want to go out and hang yourself by the middle of chapter 3. <laughs> it just gets more and more depressing every verse. And that's why Romans 3.21 and the verses that follow have had such incredible power over the ages. For those who take their faith seriously, who are merciless with themselves in trying to do what's good and right and true, they read those first two and a half chapters and know how true they are. Martin Luther, whose break from the Catholic Church started the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, began his revolt right there at Romans 3.21. Through the medieval Catholic system of confession and penance, he'd been trying with everything within him to do what was right. He was a Catholic priest. He believed in Jesus with all his heart and soul. He also believed the teaching of the church that you had to atone for all of your sins or face the fires of hell. And so he tried. He tried confession and penance. But he worried that he might have committed a sin unknowingly, and if he didn't know about it, he couldn't confess it, and therefore he couldn't be forgiven. He was in the confessional booth so often with mundane, trivial things that his confessor finally told him, go out and do something worth confessing, will you? <laughs> he tried the mortification of his flesh, literally beating himself senseless in the hopes of pleasing a God who he thought would otherwise judge him unworthy of heaven. But through all of it, he kept his nose in the Bible. At the time, only the priests were allowed to read the Bible for themselves. Only they were allowed to interpret for the people in the pews. And Luther took that charge and that privilege seriously. He read, he read with prayer, and he read to understand. 
And as he read through the first two and a half chapters of Romans, he read of his own condition. The impossible demands of the law and his own complete inability to do what was right even for a single day. The more you knew the law, the more you realized how many different ways there were to break it and to sin. Luther was living that, and he was right with Paul's every word. Then he read Romans 3.21, and the but now, apart from the law, shouted out like the trumpets of heaven to him. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That passage changed Martin Luther and the church forever. He saw that the church had made a critical mistake. We didn't have to work to save ourselves. That was impossible, as well he knew. God neither asked that or expected it. God had actually shown up in the person of Jesus and given us redemption as a gift. A gift. You can't earn a gift. You can't pay for a gift. If you pay for a gift, it's not a gift anymore. something you bought. A gift is free, and in the church we call that grace. And so Luther redirected all the efforts he had put into trying to confess and atone for his sins, in trying to show the church the truth of the gospel as he read it in Romans, so that others might know the freedom that he now felt. He wrote down 95 different points where he believed the church was in error, and he posted them on the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany, on the night before everyone would gather there to celebrate All Saints Day. You can imagine that the church hierarchy was pleased with that. The church rarely likes to be reformed, and it got him into big trouble. The history of the Protestant Reformation was the result, and the rallying cry of that Reformation came from this section of Romans. Sola fides, faith alone. We don't have to work our way into heaven. Our redemption is given as a gift to all who will accept it. Luther wrote many, many books, among them a commentary on the book of Romans that tells of his struggle and his conversion, if you will. It was studied down through the centuries. I even studied it in seminary. But well before me, back in the 18th century, another priest an Anglican this time, was having some of the same issues that Luther had early on. John Wesley couldn't manage to do what was right. He was a priest, but he had neither righteousness nor faith, and he knew it. And then one night, as he wandered the streets of London, he was invited to a prayer meeting on Aldersgate Street. He went and the person presiding there was reading from Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. They were in this same spot, halfway through chapter 3. And right there, chapter 3, verses 21 to 24, John Wesley reports that his heart was strangely warmed. The faithless priest, who also was trying to work his way into heaven, imagining that God was like his own harsh and demanding father, 
also heard the thunderous, but now apart from the law of Romans 3.21. Redemption was not a wage to be earned, but a gift to be accepted by anybody and everybody who would. And so we did. And Wesley was a new man. Suddenly he too was kicked out of his pulpit and found himself preaching in the streets and in the fields, sharing his joy and the grace of God to all who would listen. He started societies, bands of people who met in homes to try to renew the church. They had a method to their meetings, and soon these Methodists were carrying the message throughout England and finally here to the colonies. Wesley, too, wrote many books, telling the world that it was God's grace that saves us and not our works. Bowing and scraping to a harsh master was never meant to be the Christian way. God was gracious. God gave the gift to him, even though he had stood in the pulpit many years without believing a word of what he preached. God gave the gift to everyone and to anyone who would consent to receive it. More than that, Wesley could see that God's grace had been at work in him, even before he knew it, even when he swore God was not with him. But God's grace had always been there. Before he knew it, it was there. In the moment that the light bulb went off and he understood it, it was there. And then throughout the rest of his life, it was there as he opened his heart in gratitude and As Wesleyan language says, he was moving on to perfection. Just as Luther chanted, faith, 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 so Wesley and the Methodists chanted, grace, grace, grace. The rest of Romans goes on to explain why the law is still important and how it is that Jesus has the authority to offer such a gift. But there's no point really in reading any further until you've seen the incredible message of Romans 3, 21 to 24. All that guilt and sin in the first two and a half chapters is washed away. Doesn't matter. We might have some earthly messes to clean up from our sin, but the heavenly record is washed clean, freely. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And God doesn't want us to try to pay for it. It's rude to try to pay somebody who's trying to offer you a gift. There's no boasting that we managed some kind of great holy feat that earned us salvation. There's no seeing ourselves as better or worse than anybody else. None of us can keep the law. We're all in the same boat. And all of us can be forgiven simply by accepting the gift. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Grace, it's the gift of God. At least in the West, these words of Paul literally changed the course of history, as both Luther and Wesley not only accepted the gift, but dedicated their lives to making sure that others were set free from their feelings of guilt and shame and inadequacy before God. And so that message comes to us. Many of us are still bound by that old sense of guilt. Some people across all the churches I've served have told me that they won't come up for communion because they're not worthy. 
Wesley would have dragged those people out of the pews and up to the front anyway, saying, well, of course you're not. That's the whole point. (laughs) Neither am I. Neither is anybody here. But God wants us there anyway. The point of communion for Wesley was not that you became worthy and then you could come, but by coming in our sin and in our unworthiness, we realize the grace of God that accepts us as we are, that Christ died while we were yet sinners, as the liturgy says. God loves us anyway. And God's forgiveness and grace is a gift. It's free. It's grace, grace, grace. While the righteous are trying to crawl to God across broken glass to atone for their sins, the riffraff are running right over them and dashing into the arms of God. Redemption is free. The prison bars are open, and God Almighty turns out to be not the harsh judge, but love. And I think that's why the Bible keeps saying, and Jesus says, that the last shall be first. Those whose sins are so great that they know there's no way they can atone for them on their own. Hear the gospel and figure they've got nothing to lose, and they are right up there checking out the truth of the message. They accept the gift eagerly. Those whose sins are less are often caught up in pride. They don't want a handout. They want to be able to pay their way. They can atone for those few sins and maybe achieve that perfection after all. And so they crawl while others run on ahead, forgiven, free, as a gift. One of those running freely ahead was John Newton a slave trader who'd renounced his faith in God, only to find it again in a storm and through the teachings of both George Whitfield and John Wesley. Knowing the evil that he had done as a master in the slave trade, he knew he was a wretch, and yet the amazing grace of God was free to him as well. He became a minister, and he wrote our closing hymn. There are still some churches where you'll hear, sin, sin, sin. But with the chorus of Luther and Wesley and John Newton behind us, we call back, grace, grace, grace. The sin is forgotten. God is love. Our redemption is a gift that we need only to reach out and accept. Our hearts will be strangely warmed. We'll start posting the message on doors. And we'll probably get kicked out of the pulpits of those who want to keep the people enslaved to sin. But God's grace is amazing. And once we grasp it, the world will never be the same. The version of amazing grace that we'll sing at the end is almost like the original that John Newton wrote. John Newton wrote six verses, and we have the first five. The standard sixth verse that begins, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. That one wasn't his. The original final verse says, The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. Amen and amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. 
love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music